Hello, and welcome to United Hope for Humanity, episode 19. Um, This episode will focus on PTSD for veterans, what it means, um, what it looks like, what some of the symptoms are. Um, I'm using a video from YouTube uh, from a gentleman called Sebastian Junger, and it's entitled, Why Veterans Miss War? And... Not to be clear and transparent, not all veterans miss war, but I would say the biggest thing about it was, or at least for me, I don't miss the war. I miss the people, the people, the soldiers that I had made friendships and relationships with. um, Those are the ones that I miss because when you're going through the things that a soldier goes through. No one else understands except for another soldier. And same for a veteran, you know. A veteran can understand another veteran who's been to war um, as opposed to the soldier who has yet to be deployed to war, maybe brand new, maybe in basic training. Um, I would definitely suggest whoever wants to join the military, I don't want to dissuade you or persuade you. Um, For me, it was the right decision. For me, it was a perfect decision. And I, if given the chance, I would do it all over again. It was an excellent, excellent opportunity for me. And so far, the military has been very good about keeping their promise on treating soldiers with dignity and respect, and especially those that have returned from war, helping them with their issues, our issues. So without further ado, this video is about 13 minutes long. But I think it is very um, important for us veterans, especially those of us that don't want to seek help. It is said statistically that out of the the veteran population that has PTSD, only about 50% are diagnosed or diagnosed and seek treatment. So that means 50%, that's half of us, don't seek treatment. And why is that? Because we're not comfortable because we don't trust. We're afraid of all kinds of things, which this video is going to go into. But here's the most important thing. You have fought for your country. You have went to war for your country. You have had this trauma or traumas from the military forced upon you. Okay? You didn't ask for that. You were trying to serve your country, trying to travel the world, trying to get college money, whatever your reason was but if you can start to acknowledge and see first of all that you have PTSD even if you only have a few symptoms seek help I'm telling you it will help your life and if you don't want to seek professional help out in the uh, normal world or psychology world or whatever come here come to this web come to this podcast Go to my webpage, www.unitedhopeforhumanity.org. You don't want to get help from a professional. Let me try and help you based on how I have dealt with my PTSD. How I am continuing to deal with the PTSD to make sure it is managed. Um, It is possible. Will it always be with you? Well, it depends on on how severe your case is. You know, Um, the more you deployed... The more in danger you were, the more that your life was at risk. 
of course, something like that will always be with you. However, the trigger or the charge associated with it is the only thing we can heal. You can't go back in time. You can't take it back. And for some of us, it's shaped, or most of us, it's shaped who we are today. So it's an integral part of your being. And as such, you don't want to discredit your own courage, your own strength, your own confidence. So without further ado, I'm going to let the professional speak now and hope that you enjoy it. I'm going to ask and try to answer a, some ways kind of, kind of an uncomfortable question. Um, both civilians, obviously, and soldiers suffer in war. I don't think any civilian has ever missed the war that they were subjected to. And I've been covering wars for almost 20 years, and one of the remarkable things for me is how many soldiers find themselves missing it. How is it someone can go through the worst experience imaginable and come home, back to their home and their family, their country, and miss the war? How does that work? What's it mean? We have to answer that question because if we don't, it'll be impossible to bring soldiers back to, the, to a place in society where they belong. And I think it'll also be impossible to stop war if we don't understand how that mechanism works. The problem is that war does not have a simple, neat truth, one simple, neat truth. Any sane person hates war, hates the idea of war, wouldn't want to have anything to do with it, doesn't want to be near it, doesn't want to know about it. That's a sane response to war. But if I asked all of you in this room who here has paid money to go to a cinema and be entertained by a Hollywood war movie, most of you would probably raise your hands. That's what's so complicated about war. And trust me, if a room full of peace-loving people find something compelling about war, so do 20-year-old soldiers who have been trained in it. I promise you. That's the thing that has to be understood. Uh, I've covered war for about 20 years, as I said, but my most intense experiences in combat were with American soldiers in Afghanistan. I've been in Africa, in the Middle East, Afghanistan in the 90s. But it was with American soldiers in 2007, 2008, that I was confronted with uh, very intense combat. I was in a small valley called the Korangal Valley in eastern Afghanistan. It was six miles long. There were 150 men of battle company in that valley. And for a while, while I was there, almost 20% of all the combat in all of Afghanistan was happening in those six miles. 150 men were absorbing almost a fifth of the combat for all of NATO forces in the country for a couple of months. It was very intense. I spent most of my time at a small outpost called Restrepo. It was named after the platoon medic that had been killed about two months into the deployment. It was a few plywood bee huts uh, clinging to a side of a ridge and sandbags, bunkers, gun positions. There were 20 men up there. 
of 2nd Platoon Battle Company. I spent most of my time up there. There was no running water. There was no way to bathe. The guys were up there for a month at a time. They never even got out of their clothes. They fought, they worked, they slept in the same clothes. They never took them off. And at the end of the month, they went back down to the company headquarters. And by then, their clothes were unwearable. They burned them and got a new set. There was no internet. There was no phone. There was no communication with the outside world up there. There was no cooked food. There was nothing up there that young men typically like. No cars, no girls, no television, nothing, except combat. Combat they did learn to like. I remember one, one day, it was a very hot day in the spring, and uh, we hadn't been in a fight in a couple of weeks, maybe? Usually the outpost was attacked, and we hadn't seen any combat in a couple of weeks, and everyone was com just stunned with boredom and heat. And I remember the, the, uh, the lieutenant walking past me, sort of stripped to the waist. It was incredibly hot. Stripped to the waist, walked past me muttering, oh, God, please, someone attack us today. That's how bored they were. That's war, too. It's a lieutenant saying, please, something, make something happen, because we're going crazy. To understand that, you have to, for a moment, think about combat not morally, that's an important job to do. But for a moment, don't think about it morally, think about it neurologically. Let's think about what happens in your brain when you're in combat. First of all, the experience is, uh, it's a very bizarre, very bizarre one. It's not what I had expected. Usually you're not scared. I've been very scared in combat. But most of the time when I was out there, I wasn't scared. I was very scared beforehand and incredibly scared afterwards. And that fear that comes afterwards can last years. I haven't been shot at in six years. And I was woken up very abruptly this morning by a nightmare that I was being strafed by aircraft. Six years later. I've never even been strafed by aircraft and I was having nightmares about it. Time slows down. You get this weird tunnel vision. You notice some details very, very, very accurately and other things drop out. It's almost a slightly altered state of mind. What's happening in your brain is you, you're getting an enormous amount of adrenaline pumped through your system. Young men will go to great lengths to have that experience. It's wired into us. It's hormonally supported. The mortality rate for young men in society is six times what it is for young women from violence and from accidents, just the stupid stuff that young men do. Jumping off of things they shouldn't jump off of, lighting things on fire they shouldn't light on fire. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. They die at six times the rate that young women do. Statistically, you are safer, as a teenage boy, you, are safe, you would be safer in the fire department or the police department in most American cities than just walking around the streets of your hometown looking for something to do, <laughs> statistically. You can imagine how that plays out in combat. At Restrepo, every guy up there was almost killed, including me, including my good friend Tim Hetherington, who was later killed in Libya. There were guys walking around, walking around with bullet holes in their uniforms, rounds that had cut through the fabric and didn't touch their bodies. I was leaning against some sandbags one morning, not much going on, sort of spacing out, and some 
sand was kicked into the side of my, some sort of hit the side of my face. Something hit the side of my face. I didn't know what it was. You have to understand about bullets that they go a lot faster than sound. So if someone shoots at you from a few hundred meters, the bullet goes by you, or hits you obviously, half a second or so before the sound catches up to it. So I, some sand sprayed in the side of my face. Half a second later, I heard, duh, 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 duh. it was a machine gun fire. It was the first round, first burst of an hour long firefight. What had happened was the bullet hit, a bullet hit three or four inches from the side of my head. Imagine, just think about it, because I certainly did. Think about the angle of deviation that saved my life. At 400 meters, it missed me by three inches. Just think about the math on that. Every guy up there had that some experience like that, at least once, if not many times. The boys are up there for a year. They got back. Some of them got out of the Army and had tremendous psychological problems when they got home. Some of them stayed in the Army and were more or less okay, psychologically. I was particularly close to a guy named Brendan O'Byrne. I'm still very good friends with him. He came back to the States. He got out of the Army. Uh, I had a dinner party one night. I invited him. <clears throat> and he, was, he started talking with a woman, uh, one of my friends. And she, she knew how bad it had been out there. And she said, Brendan, uh, is there anything at all that you miss about being out in Afghanistan, about the war? <clears throat> and he thought about it quite a long time. He finally said, ma'am, I miss almost all of it. And he's one of the most traumatized people I've seen from that war. Ma'am, I miss almost all of it. What is he talking about? He's not a psychopath. He doesn't miss killing people. He's not crazy. He doesn't miss getting shot at, seeing his friends get killed. What is it that he misses. We have to answer that. If we're going to stop war, we have to answer that question. I think what he missed is brotherhood. He missed, in some ways, the opposite of killing. What he missed was connection to the other men he was with. Now, brotherhood is different from friendship. Friendship happens in society, obviously. The more you like someone, the more you, you'd be willing to do for them. Brotherhood has nothing to do with how you feel about the other person. It's a mutual agreement in a group that you will put the welfare of the group, you will put the safety of everyone in the group above your own. In effect, you're saying, I love these other people more than I love myself. Brennan was a team leader in command of three men. And the worst day in Afghanistan, he was almost killed so many times. Didn't bother him. The worst thing that happened to him in Afghanistan was one of his men was hit in the head with a bullet in the helmet. Knocked him over. They thought he was dead. He was in the middle of a huge firefight. No one could deal with it. And a minute later, Kyle Steiner sat back up from the dead, as it were, because he'd come, he'd come back to consciousness. The bullet had just knocked him out. It glanced off the helmet. He remembers people saying, as he was sort of half conscious, he remembers people, he remember, remembers people saying, Steiner's been hit in the head. Steiner's dead. And he was thinking, I'm not dead. And he sat up. And Brendan realized after that that he could not protect his men. And that was the only time he cried in Afghanistan was realizing that. 
that's brotherhood. This wasn't invented recently. Many of you have probably read the Iliad. Achilles surely would have risked his life or given his life to save his friend Patroclus. In World War II, there are many stories of wounded soldiers who were wounded, who were brought to a rear base hospital, who went AWOL, crawled out of windows, slipped out of doors, went AWOL, wounded, to make their way back to the front lines to rejoin their brothers out there. So you think about Brendan, you think about all of these soldiers, having an experience like that, a bond like that, in a small group, where they love 20 other people in some ways more than they love themselves. You think about how good that would feel. Imagine it. And they, they are, are blessed with that experience for a year. And then they come home and they are just back in society like the rest of us are, not knowing who they can count on, not knowing who loves them, who they can love, not knowing exactly what anyone they know would do for them if it came down to it. That is terrifying. Compared to that, war psychologically in some ways is easy compared to that kind of alienation. That's why they miss it. And that's what we have to understand and in some ways fix in our society. Thank you very much. All right. So, again, that video can be found on YouTube. His name is Sebastian Junger. Last name, J-U-N-G-E-R, and it's called Why Veterans Miss War. So, in listening to that whole thing, I definitely could relate and understand where he was going with his message. I hope you were able to find some use of that video, um, or excuse me, that podcast video that I made into a podcast. Um, there will be more like these designed for veterans, and there will also be more um, PTSD helpful videos for civilians. And what I mean by that, regular people who never joined the military or who aren't veterans or who aren't in the military right now. Because as, he, as Sebastian Junger stated in the beginning, when he defined post-traumatic stress disorder, it's being, basically it's like being squeezed, kicked while you're down, <laughs> and then squeezed all that bit more till every ounce of blood comes out of you. That's pretty much what it is. So, in order to heal that, because that type of situation can happen in sexual trauma, child abuse, and uh, uh, mental abuse from your parents when you were younger, maybe a very hostile work environment where, you know, there's sexual harassment or sexism or homophobism, or whatever it is. These are traumatic events. If they can affect a person to the point where they're having these flashbacks about the situation or about the issue, you don't have to go to war for that. There is no requirement that says PTSD is a fear of death or dying. It's a traumatic situation, hence the word post-traumatic stress syndrome or post-traumatic stress disorder. 
what things can bring stress a lot but what can bring traumatic stress and I think you'll find the answer to that is plenty um, even those who have been um, sexual trauma survivors they have survived their own war we have survived our, survived our own war because it's a traumatic event and you don't have control over the situation it's happening and you just gotta grit your teeth bear it and then get the hell out of there and start the acknowledgement and healing process and that's the most important part if you bury it and trust me I buried many traumas for years it catches up with you there is no hiding from your trauma you cannot hide from yourself so with that in mind I hope this video helped I will be of course doing more PTSD help videos as well as um, sexual sexual trauma survivor meditations and other kinds of meditations just to help spread peace harmony and joy the most important being inner peace because let me tell all of you and all as all veterans should know or do know the more you dwell and soak in that bathtub of filth that bathtub of trauma you will never get dry because you are always in that wet bathtub of trauma you're always in that bathtub filled with blood that you're sitting in curdling with those disgusting ugly or life-threatening traumas and it's hard to get out of that it is but it's not impossible and I'm saying that from first-hand experience is it a struggle yes will it forever be with you possibly will it always have the same charge or trigger associated to that memory or to that situation that depends on you you have to do the work okay we did the work to get traumatized so to speak we went to war we signed up we cared about our fellow soldiers we wanted to make sure everyone in our unit came back alive you have to have that same kind of passion for yourself okay it's time to turn that love of brotherhood sisterhood that family that military family strong base that they have and it is a very strong bond but take that love and apply it to yourself take that love and heal yourself as if you would heal your brother your sister someone you love a soldier member that went to war with you that maybe didn't come back use the healing process to venge their death use the healing process to process everything you've been through because you need to sit process mourn and understand how all these things in your life that have happened to you good and bad have shaped the wonderful person you are today and maybe you don't feel wonderful today but keep going keep walking if you want it and if you try and you put the work in I promise you I'm not gonna promise it's gonna go away forever I can't do that logically or ethically but I will tell you if you do the work and you really try and you apply these methods and you use them consistently and you meditate on this 
and you understand and seek therapy even. The triggers or the charges that are associated with our traumas, each individual one, will start to diminish. They will not be as strong. Think of these traumas as a buff bodybuilder, right? First, we created them into these big, huge bodybuilding monsters, and they're like the Hulk. Well, now you have to deflate them. And the best way to do that is to acknowledge them. Do not ignore them, because that's the part of you. That's the part of your psyche that you have had to use. You have had to develop because you were in war. So take that and destroy it. Take all your pain, mourn it, love it, cry for it, and then destroy it. It may always be there, it may not. But the charge or the, the energy, the trigger associated with that event will start to diminish if you continue to do the work and the healing. I hope the best for all of you. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Again, if you want to see more, um, excuse me, if you want to see the actual video of that, this podcast, as well as other helpful videos for um, how to navigate through trauma and heal trauma, then please visit our webpage. We have a Facebook page, uh, United Hope, the number four, Humanity. Uh, as well as our regular website, www.unitedhope4humanity.org. Till next time, I'll see you then, my friends. Have a good one.